Alright, so we're in the middle of chapter 7. And chapter 7 is in the middle of the discussion about klipa, about the other side, about the, the unholy elements of our, of our reality. As we were explaining in the past two classes, or even three, um, starting from chapter 6, uh, this world is a dynamic world. We live in, a, in an interesting reality. God brought us into this world with a job. When God created the world, it's a world with, uh, with good and evil. It's a world where when we are going to be discussing good and evil, what we mean is transparently divine and that which is not transparently divine. Anything that is clearly... <clears throat> so I'm just turning this off here. Anything that is clearly... Um, that, that is clearly something that is used in the service of God, that's holy. Because its entire identity is that it's godly. So like a pair of tefillin. It's only used for one thing, to serve God. A mezuzah, a Torah scroll, matzah, right? These things, they're, they're mitzvahs. These are mitzvah things. Um, then there are things that are clearly not for the service of God. Uh, for example, uh, bacon. It's impossible for a pig to be kosher, right? Uh, and these types of things. What was that? Unless it's a life-saving... But let's not get into that right now. Let's not get, okay, you have a good point. You have a good point. Yes, you have a good point. Seemingly, you know what? I'll qualify. I'll qualify. I'll, qual- I'll qualify that seemingly there's no way that a pig could be elevated. Actually, we'll see soon that it could be to a certain extent. But right, right, but, but how, how can you elevate the bacon? By not by not by not eating it. Is it possible to elevate bacon through eating it? At least you need to say the blessing. (laughs) You shouldn't say a blessing when you eat bacon. No, not at all. No, Saying a blessing when eating something not kosher is against the rules. So before you make a blessing on food, make sure it's kosher. Because if you eat the not kosher food and say a blessing before, you did two sins. You ate non-kosher food. And you made a blessing when you're not supposed to. And saying a blessing, saying God's name when you're not supposed to, is a big sin. What if What if you're saying a blessing for thanking for thanking God for saving your life by providing something even though it's not kosher? Let, let's not get into that type of conversation. Okay. Let, let, let's not. Uh, let, let's talk about healthy Jews and even sick Jews that have to eat and they're eating kosher and that, that that's when you make a blessing. And no pigs. No pigs. That's it. <laughs> So the next time you have bacon on your pizza, make sure not to make a blessing on the pizza. No, heaven forbid, Jews don't eat bacon. But um, so the, the idea, is, so, so now we have that which is clearly godly, let's say, you know, mitzvah or it's holy. And you have that which is clearly not godly, it's the opposite. And then you have the gray area, klipas noiga. Yeah, so it's klipa, it's the, the periphery, it is, uh, it's not holy at all, but it's called noiga, noiga, which means it has a shine, it has a possibility to be elevated into holiness. And that includes everything and anything that's under the sun that's kosher, basically. Anything that is permitted. Anything that is permitted for use, but it is not clearly a mitzvah. So all of that is in the level of klipas noyga. Now the question is, where is it going to go? This gray area never remains in the gray area. It's either elevated into holiness or it is degraded into uh, the, the, the three unclean klipot. Um, and we explained in the past few classes that it all depends on how we engage with it. 
A Jew could be eating perfectly kosher, a perfectly kosher hamburger, but if he eats it, and, and he makes a blessing, by the way, but he eats it in order to indulge. He's not eating it in order to survive. He's not eating it in order to serve God. He's eating it to indulge and to appreciate the, the, the deliciousness of the hamburger. So then that becomes uh, absolutely unholy. And someone's going to start to say, you know, I'm eating the hamburger in order to appreciate God's world. Cut the BS. When you're eating a hamburger because it's tasty and delicious and yummy, and you're eating it on a regular Wednesday afternoon, you're eating it because you're a glutton. It's your inten- the intention is not like you said the other thing. It's the intention is I'm hungry, this burger tastes good. Exactly. I'm hungry, it tastes good, I'm eating it. For the mitzvah, it's just staying in the... And that's it. Which mitzvah? Well, you said the blessing. Fine, so you said the blessing. But this hamburger has certain energy in it. And when a Jew eats that hamburger... With any, even if he doesn't do it that way, but if he doesn't have the proper intentions while eating it, that energy automatically goes to the three unclean klipot because the intention was not transparently divine. It wasn't transparently godly. Right. I guess my other question is, but but he did the action. In other words, he did say the blessing. In other words, he, he put. In other words, he just ate the burger and didn't say anything. I'll put it this way. How about this? This is going to be important in order to understand the rest of this class. We have to make a distinction between the person and the action. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? When a person does something, when, when, when someone commits a crime, yeah? Let's say someone goes and burns down a building, empty building, goes and burns down a building. Two things happen here. One is that this person's an arsonist. You're a dangerous guy. That's number one. You, you broke the law. You're not allowed to burn down buildings just like that. It doesn't belong to you. Why'd you burn down the building? Right? You're a bad guy. We gotta lock you up. You know what the other thing is? The building is burnt. Now, locking this guy up, will that build the building? Will that unburn the building? No. Right? So, when a guy burns a building down to the ground, two things are happening here. You have the arsonist, you have the guy who burnt it, and... You have the building that's burnt. Now, by the way, if a guy planned to burn down the building, is he an arsonist? No, he didn't burn it yet. He planned on it. He has plans to burn down the building. Is he an arsonist? No. He didn't burn it. We might have to put him on a watch list, (laughs) right? But you can't put him away for planning it if it didn't happen. One second, one second. So, when a Jew does a sin... There's two things happening here. One thing is, you're a bad person. You went and you violated one of the rules of God. You're a bad person. Let's not call you a bad person. People get edgy when we say that. Uh, You're a violator. A sinner. Fine. Then there is that which happened in the world as a result of the sin. The building that burned, right? The destruction that happened. When a Jew sins... What happens? As a result of the sin, the energy of the physical object or the action or whatever it might be that had the potential to be elevated into holiness is now degraded into klipa, into the unholy areas of the world, right? So there's the sinner and then there's the result of the sin. These three chapters, we're not talking about the sinner. We're talking about the results of the sin. That's what we're dealing with here. 
with regard to the sinner and how the sinner could be rectified and changed and elevated and all that, that is discussed in the Geras HaTshuva. That is a different section of the Tanya which discusses the mitzvah of Teshuvah. But here what we're trying to understand, what we're trying to clarify, is to understand the reality in which we live in, in which we operate in, and what happens as a result of our actions. If a Jew takes a non-kosher food, I'm sorry, takes a kosher food, takes a kosher hamburger, right, and makes a blessing, and then eats it with the intention of indulging, and that's the only reason. So two things, I made a blessing, oh, it's a beautiful, wonderful mitzvah, you made a blessing, right? So you'll get credit for the blessing. But the blessing doesn't help to protect the energy of the hamburger from being schlepped into the three unholy klipot as a result of your indulgence. Right? You the, that's the difference here. <clears throat> so instead of mixing everything into a mishmash, there's a bunch of different stuff happening here. If a person didn't make a blessing, so, so he violated, in other words, you're not allowed to eat, you're not allowed to have benefit from God's world without asking God for permission. <clears throat> Sorry. Without acknowledging that God is the owner of everything, right? So if a person eats a kosher hamburger without making a blessing, so, so that's a violation, right? That's on me. That, that's a violation that, in other words, I benefited from the world, I benefited from God's world without acknowledging that God is the creator of the world and the owner of the world. Yeah, fine. Um, but then the other thing that's happening is, is that the energy vested in this hamburger is being degraded. Two separate things. Now, in order for the energy to be elevated, right, a blessing is an integral part of that. In order to take this hamburger, which is in the gray area, the gray zone, and I'm going to eat a hamburger with the intention that it should help me in serving God, I'm going to utilize this energy in order to pray, in order to learn, in order to help others, etc. So, so I'm elevating it, but in order for that elevation to happen, I need to make a blessing. Because if I don't make a blessing, I'm not acknowledging that this is God's food, <laughs> that this is in God's world. Right? So if the person did make a blessing, but then eat the burger thinking, I'm going to do good for God, it's not the opposite, where it doesn't go to the clip, no, God actually goes out, but you don't get credit for the blessing. Again, what, what, what? No, no, no. If you, if you didn't make a blessing, even if you had the right intentions, right. there's a problem. Right, there's, there's an issue. Whatever, you, you can do teshuva on the blessing, all that type of stuff, yeah? But, so, so, so and this is a very important thing to realize when it comes to this entire discussion, that we're dealing here with the burnt house. We're dealing here with what happens to that gray area energy as a result of our actions and our intentions. Yeah? Um, yeah. So you should say, like, if you're going to eat a burger, then you should say the blessing, well, before you say the blessing, of course. you think, this is fuel. Yeah. Or, you know, for my body or something like that, so I can serve it up. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And not just that. Afterwards, you have to actually no, use that fuel instead of exercising, uh, you know, instead of... Uh, you have to learn Torah, you have to do mitzvahs. By the way, this is a very intense conversation, right? Whatever. Let, let, let's, just, let, let's just leave it at that. As we say, let's understand the dynamics of this world. As a result, we'll start to appreciate... <laughs> One of the things that we appreciate once we start learning these chapters is why people... Where does it come from that a Jew would choose to not engage in most things in this world. Not engage in uh, many pleasures. You come to a person and say, well, why don't you just go on vacation? Why don't you go and enjoy a walk on the beach? They say, what, what do you mean? What, what did I lose there? 
What do you mean, what do you lose there? Be a human being, enjoy life. To, to a very, the concept of enjoy life, right, flies in the face of this entire perspective. Life is not meant to be enjoyed. Life is a job. Life is work. Right? You have to enjoy the job. Enjoy the job. But not enjoy laying back and doing nothing. That's Make it taking, happen. That's why he's taking this class, to learn to enjoy the job. But here's, here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. <clears throat> I, I've heard people ask, you study Talmud every day? But no vacation, no, no taking off. And that's the, what, what do you mean taking off? What's that supposed to mean? Ask Alexander, yeah? He's in the lab all day and all night. Ever ask him, why don't you sleep? 24-7, this guy, yeah? He's lucky. He's lucky that he has Shabbos, right? And you ask him, like, why don't you take it easy? You know what he says? If, if you want to change the world, you don't take it easy. That's, just, that's not how it works, right? I want to be the president of the United States. The most relevant person in the entire world. Even when he goes golfing, he's got people standing behind him dealing with policies. Hakim Machainik, right? You can't take off. It doesn't work that way, right? And the same is true about everyone and everything. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that we should ever take vacation. Sometimes it's important to take off in order to reinvigorate and energize, etc. In fact, there's a letter that writes to a woman who was under a lot of stress, etc. With her job, she was a teacher. And I said that it gave her several pointers, and one of them was that she should take off a little bit. She should take a little vacation. And I said, depending on the person, that's how much time off they need. Some people, it's enough for them just a few minutes. Some people need a few days. Some people need a few weeks. It all depends on the person, right? So I'm not suggesting that, that vacation is a bad thing in and of itself. What I'm just saying is that, and even when you're on vacation, you're not on vacation. There's still a lot of work that's going on. The vacation itself is, is intense. Right? I'm not suggesting we should live life intensely, but we should understand and appreciate that everything that we're doing, we're dealing with live ammo. This is a real business. And we're at the center of it. Every one of us is at the center of the universe, of our universe, right? And it's up to us to ensure that the divine energy that's around in this world should be elevated to its proper place. So the gray area stuff can be easily elevated. Right? Because when you engage in the gray area stuff, when you engage with the kosher hamburger and you do it with the right intentions, it's elevated. And even if you engaged with it in the wrong way, you didn't have the proper intentions and it was sucked into or schlepped into the three unclean klipot, it's much easily elevated from there. Such is not the case. Let's continue on page 30 on the left side, second paragraph. Such is not the case, however, with forbidden foods and koishin which derive from the three klipot that are entirely unclean. So if it's a piece of bacon, right, or a forbidden uh, relationship, so that is in the three unclean klipot. These are tied and bound by the extraneous forces forever and are not released. That's it, they're tied up, they're usur, they're shackled. They're going to be in the unclean area, they're not released until... Oh, so there is an exit strategy. God didn't create a world where they should be evil and, and klipa forever. There is an exit strategy. What are the, there's two exit strategies here for the three unclean klipot. So there is a way how bacon could be elevated. Even if a Jew ate bacon, even if a Jew 
uh, was engaged in a, in a type of relationship that is forbidden, it could be elevated. How so? Until the day comes when death will be swallowed up forever. As is written, and I will cause the unclean spirit to pass from the land. All right, what's the connection between death and the unclean spirit? Life, life is, uh, the, the, how you say, life represents holiness. Death represents unholiness, right? Um, that's why, for example, the most extreme level of ritual impurity comes as a result of touching a dead body. Doesn't matter what dead body it is. Death is the absence of life, and death is the cause for all, for, for the most extreme level of unholiness, Right? Again, don't make the mistake. It's a very big mitzvah to engage with the dead and to clean them and to bury them, etc. The fact of the matter is, someone who touches a dead body becomes ritually impure and therefore cannot go into the holy temple. A koyin, who is supposed to be on a higher ritually pure level, always, is not allowed to touch a dead body. Is not allowed to touch. Why? Because death is the source of the highest levels of ritual impurity. Now, we are told, our prophets tell us, right? This is from the prophet Zechariah, that the day will come that death will be no more. You know, there was a time when there was no death in the world. It was for a few hours. After Adam was created on Friday at, at noon, so for a few hours, there was no death in the world. There was no concept of death. There was only birth and life and bringing new life into the world. But then Adam and Eve sinned. A is from the tree of knowledge. And God said, oh, because you sinned, you're going to die. <clears throat> what do we see? That sin is the source and the cause for death. Um, without getting into a whole deep explanation about the connection between that, but the point is, the point is, that as a result of sin, death came to the world. But that's not, that's not the default setting of this world. The default setting of this world is that it's a holy world, and it's a pure world, a godly world, and in a godly world, there's no place for death. It's still God's world. But God is hidden in this world. So when the day will come that God is going to be revealed in this world, every single detail of this world is going to be permeated with the knowledge of God. Death will cease. Code word for Mashiach. When Mashiach will come, that's going to be the time that death will cease from this world. And... Since death will cease, that means that all impurities will cease. That means that when Mashiach will come, even the most unholy and the most impure elements of this universe are going to be elevated. That means even sin, even the worst type of sin that one has committed during this time period, which has already gone for 5,784 years, even those sins will also be elevated. So that's one exit strategy for if a person sinned, right? So again, we're talking here about the reality. The burned down house. Could it be rebuilt? Yes. When Mashiach will come, it's going to be rebuilt. The, the, that which was destroyed in this world as a result of our actions through engaging in that which is forbidden will be elevated when Mashiach will come. That's one, that's one way to fix it up. Or, there's another way. Until the sinner repents to such an extent... That is, premeditated sins become transmuted into veritable merits. 
which is achieved through repentance out of love, coming from the depths of the heart, with great love and fervor, and from a soul passionately desiring to cleave to God, blessed be He, and thirsting for God like a parched desert soil. All right, before, uh, let's stop here for a moment. First of all, what does it mean, premeditated sins? Huh? Not planned. planned. Those are the worst types of sins. You knew you were sinning, you planned on sinning, you sinned. In Hebrew, that's called zadon. You did it on purpose. And so the so the, the plural for many of those sins is zdonot. Zdoinois. Right? Zadon. And the Torah tells us, the Talmud says, that there is a way to take that zadon to take that premeditated sin, the sin that was done on purpose, and to transform that sin into a mitzvah. See, every time that we do something, there's a, there's a book in heaven that's writing down everything that we did, right? So everything that we did is written down. The easiest way to look at it, it is in different different color ink, right? If it's, if it's red, I'm just making this stuff up, right? If it's red, it's premeditated sins. If it's black, it's just sins, whatever. You did it by mistake. And if it's blue, oh, it's a mitzvah, whatever. Now, can you imagine a guy did a premeditated sin, right? He had the intention to go eat bacon on Yom Kippur. Oh. So he went on Yom Kippur, and he went into the restaurant, and he bought the bacon, and he ate it on Yom Kippur. He did it on purpose. So God writes it in the book, in what, in what color ink? Red. But if, a, if this Jew, if the sinner, does the type of tshuva that we just explained, which, whatever, we're going to get into more of this, what, what type of tshuva it is, if he does this type of sin, so he still ate the bacon. That you can't change. God doesn't erase the eating bacon. The question is, what color ink is it going to be in? If it's in red, the worst type of sin, God changes the color ink to blue. So it turns out, that they eat the color or they write the new one in blue. No, it changes the color. It's still there. He ate the bacon on that day. On Yom Kippur, he ate the bacon. That is the reason. They they stick <coughs> over there, but they put a new one in blue. No, not a new one. The red turns into blue. The same one second. The same sin that he did is now considered the biggest mitzvah. How's that possible? But, make the shuvah. Oh, what type of shuvah? We'll see in a second. But that's okay. Fine, but but one second. So in the language that we're using right now. Here he engaged in eating bacon on Yom Kippur. And that means he was doing something that is usur, right? Shackled. It's stuck. It's in the three klipot and can never be elevated. Asur, asur. Asur, asur. And then when he did teshuva that we're describing over here, the teshuva me'av or the teshuva from great love, which we'll describe more at length, this eating bacon is no longer considered shackled. The energy that was that that was engaged in this, that that was engaged in this uh, sin is no longer considered klipa. It's no longer shackled. On the contrary, it's considered the biggest mitzvah. Now, a tzaddik, a righteous person, a regular guy, can never ever have in his list of mitzvahs eating bacon. Eating bacon is never a mitzvah. Okay. So you can never go and eat bacon and be doing a mitzvah while eating bacon. It doesn't work that way. The only way bacon becomes a mitzvah is if the sinner did it and then did teshuva me'av. Teshuva from great love. Again, we're not saying what you should do here. 
We're not, don't do this at home, right? This is not a way of living life. Here we're talking about how you can turn that burned building into the greatest asset. We're talking here about the results in the world, not about the person. You had a question? Well, originally said so. It, it, it can't be erased that you ate the bacon, but if you do this, it could. It could. You know what? If, you know so what? Made the blue. That's what I said when Danny asked about the blue. Does the red stay there? It becomes blue, but the red never really. You did it, but does it actually get erased? There's yeah. one type of teshuva that erases it. The meava. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not meava. There's a certain type of teshuva that erases it. Okay, so it erases it. It erases it, but it doesn't become a positive for you. Can I ask a question? What What does blue represent? It's, it's a made-up word. What I'm saying it represents is mitzvah. Blue represents mitzvah. How's that? But no, no, no. Eating bacon is never a mitzvah. Okay? Never, ever. It's never a mitzvah. Rabbi, excuse yeah. me, but what about if it's in order to survive? Let's not get into that. Let's not get into that. <laughs> why not? I'll tell you why not. I'll tell you why not. Because what was the question, that, what, what maybe question? you're eating it in order to survive. Right. So, again... If you're doing it in order to survive, which, by the way, to get to that point that you're eating it in order to survive, uh, it takes a, a very, very desperate situation. Very, very... One second. So in that case, yes, it's a mitzvah, right? But again, I want to discuss here a situation... I'll, I'll tell you why. Because it's not the norm to be in that situation. That's not the norm. Yeah, I'm, Yes, in the past, it's been that way. Fine. But that's not the norm. Here we're talking about a situation where you have a normal, regular, functioning reality, right? Day of life, regular day of life. A regular day of life. In a regular day of life, bacon is never a mitzvah, ever. If a person eats bacon, it's a terrible sin. And it's shackled. And that energy is stuck. It's stuck forever. And there are only two exit strategies. One of them is Mashiach. And the other one is this high level of teshuva, which I'll explain soon how that level of teshuva works and why it's possible for that teshuva to change from, from a terrible sin into the greatest merit, right? The, 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 re- the reason I'm not talking about survival is because I want to talk about a type of... You, okay, I'll, I'll choose a different sin, right? Um, <laughs> wearing a garment that has a mixture of wool and linen, right? There's never a reason for you to do that. Okay, how about that? No, I said bacon because it's just an easier sin to deal with. It's easier to understand and appreciate the concept. Okay, so if the survival issue is confusing, so... No, no, I'm going to stick to bacon. Let's keep survival out of the picture. How's that? So, um, but yes, if someone can only eat that in order to survive, so yes, there, there, is, there is that way that it can be elevated. Um so where were we? Okay, so now, so what is this Teshuvah Me'ava? What is this uh, this type of love? So he says, um, it comes from the depths of the heart, with great love and fervor. The soul is passionately desiring to cleave to God and thirsting for God like a parched desert soil. Okay, here we're describing a love for God that is only possible by a person, well, it's technically only possible by a person that has sinned. Why? <clears throat> um... We'll continue and then I'll, I'll give an example. For inasmuch as his soul had been in a barren wilderness and in the shadow of death, which is the Sitra Akhra, and infinitely removed from the light of the divine countenance, his soul now thirsts for God even more than the souls of the righteous. As our sages say, 
in the place where penitents stand, not even the perfectly righteous can stand. It is concerning the repentance out of such great love that they have said the penitents' premeditated sins become, in his case, like virtues, since thereby he has attained to this great love. Okay, <clears throat> so now like this. We all love life, right? Anything that's going to enhance our life, etc., we're attracted to that, right? We want something that's going to give us life. Okay. Let's say someone is in the shadow of death, right? Let's say someone is faced with death, literally. So what are they going to do? The guy that knows, for example, that he's sick and... No, no, no. Right. The guy that is six and the doctor told him, you know, you are... No, no, let's talk about a situation. You're, you're on the street and there's a guy pointing a gun at you. Let's say. Ah, okay. Right? Scary. Right? Very scary. And then the guy says, do yourself a favor, turn around and run. How fast are you going to run? Super fast. Where are you running to? Away. You're running away from death, running towards what? Life. life. You're running towards life. At that moment that you're running away from the guy with the gun towards life, what are you feeling at that moment? You love your life. You're scared. You're scared, but what, what do you... You want life. You love life. You're running desperately towards life. Because you want to keep your life. Yeah, you want to keep it. You love life, right? And you're running away from death in order to be connected to life. Have you ever loved life the way you've done at that moment, never, never. Even when you woke up and you're like thirsty and you're hungry and you want to, you've never run to the breakfast table to eat the way you have in that situation, right? It doesn't work that way, right? It's impossible for a person to love life as much as they do when they're running away from death. Okay, this is... So now, like this. Yes, it's a fact. Don't argue with me. It's a fact. Don't argue. If you're also running towards love. No. No, it's impossible. Running towards love never comes close to running away from a guy holding a gun to your head. Impossible. I won't accept it because it's not true. The fact of the matter is that it's impossible to love life as intensely as you do when you're running away from death. Now. Because you, you saw your the death over there. Exactly. You see how the life is gone. You see, you see your mentality. You see, you see what, whatever you want, yeah? But let's just, put the, in simple terms, in order to understand what we're going to explain over here, the fact of the matter is, no matter how much you love life, until you're running away from death, you don't love life that much. It's just impossible, right? All right. So it turns out that what motivated you to, in other words, what gave you the ability to love life so much? The fact that you're going to lose it. The, the death. In other words, the guy holding the gun to your head is actually an integral part of the intensity of your love for life at the moment. Okay. Now like this. Imagine, <clears throat> so, so now, us and God, right? It's a relationship. Now, imagine you would realize that sin is death and mitzvah is life. Now, if you've never tasted sin, and you only do mitzvahs, do you love life? Well, yeah, sure. Oh, sure you do. 
Of course you do. That's why you're doing mitzvahs all the time. That's why you're not doing sins, right? If, if, a, person, if a person doesn't jump into the fire, does he love life? Yes. Of course he does, right? But just because he didn't jump into the fire, yeah, he does love life, but he doesn't love life as intensely as someone who's running away from a fire that's rushing towards him. Imagine a fire is rushing towards you and you're running away, right? Your love for life is so much more intense. The fact that a Jew does mitzvahs, the fact that a Jew doesn't sin, yeah, he loves God, he loves life, he loves God, but it's limited. It's limited. When a person realizes that they're in a, a parched desert soil, when they realize, oy vey, oy vey, I've sinned. That means that I'm disconnected from God. That means I have no connection to my life. That means I am in a place of death. And when he comes to that realization, runs away and runs towards mitzvot, that intensity of love is so much more superior than to the love that the tzaddik, who was never in the place of death, who had never sinned, could experience. Just like it's impossible to experience a love for life until you've actually faced death. I'm sorry, you can experience love for life, but such an intense and high level of love for life. So like this, teshuva has many levels. Teshuva repentance has many different levels. There is a teshuva which is just, you know, uh, admitting and confessing the sin and making the commitment not to do it again, right? That's regular standard teshuva. But then there's a level of teshuva where the Jew realizes, where am I? And with such passion, he runs towards mitzvahs, runs towards doing what God wants. When that happens, it turns out what motivate what what was the catalyst for this type of intense love? What caused him to have such a love? The sin. The sin. The eating bacon. <clears throat> the wearing that forbidden garment. Right? Not while eating the bacon. While eating the bacon, he was doing the wrong thing. He was in a place of death. But then afterwards, when he realized, what, what did I just do? I just disconnected myself from God. No way. And he runs towards God. I will never do this again. I'm only going to do the right thing. When, when, he, is, when he is awakened to this intense type of love, it turns out that what caused this love? The sin. So is now the sin considered a bad thing or a good thing? In a funny, ironic way, it's the best thing. Because all the mitzvahs he could do throughout a lifetime would never get him to this type of intense love. But this sin, in a funny, crooked way, changed his life to the point that his love is superior than that of the greatest tzaddik. To the point where the Talmud says, in the place where penitents stand, not where sinners stand. (laughs) A sinner is not in a good place. <clears throat> the penitent, the Baal Teshuvah, the one who's doing Teshuvah, the place where they stand, in other words, the level of, of a relationship that they can have with God is so much more superior than the tzaddik because of the sin. So now, turns out, that when the Jew sinned and that energy that was in the bacon was, was intensified and it went into the Shalosh Klippas Atmeis, the three unclean areas of Klippa, and they're also they're shackled, but as a result of that teshuva, they become unshackled, they become released, and they're able to be elevated. And in this funny, ironic way, the eating bacon becomes one of the greatest mitzvahs. The energy in that bacon was elevated into Kedusha now. But it's not easy. <laughs> this is not an easy one. 
It's very difficult. It's probably as difficult as bringing Mashiach. So is this the same thing with the guy who burned the building down? In other words, there was something later that maybe he realizes, or he burned the building down, but it was for a reason. He did a bad thing, but now they're going to build a twice the size or twice as nice building because something happens. But if he hadn't burned the building down, it wouldn't have happened. Kind of like Joseph and his brothers. His brothers were angered him. They threw him in the pit. They didn't, and then it ended up that that's what God wanted him to do. And then they, you know, but was their intention really? I love you know. We, there was their intention to that they really knew that Joseph was this great guy and that he was going to be the leader. But Joseph tells them that they had bad intentions. Look at the Bible story. He says, "You thought it in a negative way. Right. You intended for bad things." Right. So their God decided. Really, a good intention. No. At the beginning. No. Okay. I'm going to ask you about that later. In, in other words, you know, whenever I bring an example, let's use the example with uh, with a limit, <laughs> with a limit here. <laughs> Um, if a guy burns down a building, uh, whatever, he burned down the building, he's going to have to pay for it, right? What we're, trying to, what we're trying to understand here is, when is it possible, or how is it possible, for this energy to be elevated? I mean, he could do Teshuva later saying, what a shmo I was, I should, what am I, I can't believe I did that, I burned the building. I mean, will, that, will, will that rebuild the building? No, that's just not how it works. Buildings are burned to the ground, that's it, it's over. So the guy like the it's not okay it's never okay to eat the bacon but in a funny way in a funny way when that eating of bacon when that when that behavior causes a person to become more intensely involved with Judaism to love God more so in, in other words this only works in God's world it only works really in God's world I'll give an example which it's it's a weird type of example to consider right well, let's say you have a husband and wife, right? And then one of them cheats, right? Okay, that destroys a relationship. But then somehow they go through therapy and whatever it is, etc. And as a result, their relationship is even stronger afterwards. Is it ever okay to cheat? No. But if at the end of the day, their relationship becomes so strong, as a result of that, so sometimes they might look back and they say, hey, <laughs> You know, my marriage, my marriage is better now. Yeah. Now, are we? Are is it going to justify it? No, no, it's never going to justify that. Why? Because we're, we're human beings, right? So, human beings can't operate on this level. This can only this can only be on a divine level. But by, by the way, by the way, we'll end off with this point. The fact that we could take a physical object, the fact that we could take food, we could take a hamburger and eat it, right? And that all of a sudden, that hamburger is elevated into a level of Kedusha, of holiness, doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. Why? This hamburger is a physical creation. It's physicality. That's what it is. It has no place in holiness. It's just not where it belongs. It doesn't belong there. That's it. Now, God did something pretty amazing. And God set up the world in a way that if a Jew will engage in the hamburger with the right intentions, it will be elevated to Kedusha. Right? The reason I bring this up is because the whole conversation is based on this premise that this only works in God's world. 
We could bring examples from the physical world. We could try to bring certain examples, but with a limit, right? Um, <clears throat> so, so therefore, so, so what's the point over here? In order to appreciate the dynamic of our reality, right? To realize that there's Ketusha, there's Klippa, and then in Klippa itself, there are two levels. There's the three absolutely unclean Klippot. And then there is the gray area, which is Klippat Noga. And that everything that's in Klippat Noga could either be elevated into Ketusha or be degraded into, klipa, into the three unclean Klippot. It's all up to us. So we have to know what we're doing. We have to know what we are causing in this world when we are engaging with it. How do we know if it's the right thing or the wrong thing to do? You don't look in Tanya. You look in the Code of Jewish Law. Right? The Code of Jewish Law will define for you what is permitted and what is prohibited. Right? It will also define for you how to engage in it. Right? This concept of eating food in order to serve God, that's not from Tanya. That's from the Code of Jewish Law. Jewish Law demands it of every Jew to engage in this world with the intention of serving God. And when we follow the guidelines of Shulchan Aruch, so then either the, the I'm sorry, when you, when you, looking at the guidelines of Shulchan Aruch, you could start to define when this gray energy is either elevated or degraded. Now when something is degraded, at least in the, in the realm of Shulchan Aruch, it's kind of stuck there, Right? And then there's a concept of teshuva, which the Shulchan Aruch also talks about, this whole idea of teshuva, of elevation. And it turns out, and in a very interesting way, there is a way how something that was degraded into the three levels of klipot, and it's there in a way of us, or it's shackled, if something came from the gray area and was degraded into klipot, it's much easier to elevate it, because it's mutter. That's why it was in the gray area. But if someone engaged in the three klipot, right, he engaged in the forbidden area, which is shackled and it's impossible to elevate. The only there are two ways to elevate it. One is the Mashiach comes and the whole concept of impurity ceases. So everything that was there is elevated. Anything that could be elevated will be elevated. And the second way is through teshuva from such a high level of love for God and passion for God, where it turns out that ironically, the 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 sin is was the catalyst for the great for, for this tremendous relationship with God. Um, now, let's say a person will say, I'm not able to do that level of teshuva, right? I'm not able to get teshuva me'ava. So he continues, says, however, repentance that does not come from such love, even though it be true repentance, and God will pardon him, nevertheless, nevertheless his sins are not transformed into merits, and they are not completely released from the klipa until the end of time when death will be swallowed up forever. Notice here, this teshuva, he is pardoned, right? So it's like it was erased from the book, but it does not become a merit. It does not become a zachiyot. It does not become a positive thing. And as long as it doesn't become a positive thing, so there's still an impression, there's residue of this in the world. But you're not going to be punished for it. It's not going to be held against you because you did teshuva. But the building is still burnt. <laughs> there is still the problem. No, it never goes to the gray area. Anything that was in the three uh, the three klipot, anything that was there, it never goes into the gray area. It's always in, in that area. Therefore, stay away from it. If you engaged in it, the only way that it can be elevated from there, really, is to go into zachiyot, to go into holiness. 
through teshuva me'ava. If a person does regular teshuva, so they save themselves, but they don't fix the world. That's the point. Right? So whatever went to whatever was in the black area from the beginning stays there. The only way it's elevated from black, black, black into, in other words, the darkest levels, the areas of the three klipot, right? Anything that was in the gray area, if we were slept into clip into the black area, can be elevated. That was the red area, the black was the red. No, no, no. In the book it was red, black, and, and blue. <laughs> in the clipot they were saying gray, black, white. I, I don't mean it, I don't mean the colors. Point I'm just trying to give the context. Anyway, so that's that's the we'll stop over here. We'll continue uh, God willing next week. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Rabbi. All the best. And uh